0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. Greetings, everybody, and thanks for joining me again for another episode. Today I figured we would do something that I don't think we've done before and that's just march through a passage of scripture and draw out a couple implications that are important and the reason why I want to do this is because the passage which I'm going to select is filled with some things that I think we might skip over at times and I think it really helps us understand more about the character of God and how to interpret scripture. And so I want to do that for us. And so we're going to look at Psalm 121 just briefly. But part of the reason why is because I just returned from vacation. While I was on vacation, I actually preached on this psalm. And it's just become one of my favorite psalms. And I think that there's a lot we can glean from it. And I figured I would share that with you on today's episode. So we're going to look at Psalm 121, which is one of the Songs of Ascent. And the Songs of Ascent range from Psalms 120 through 134. And there's been quite a bit of conjecture as to what the Song of Ascents are. And you could have, uh, some scholars have hypothesized that it's a, it's a, uh, marking of the travel from Babylon to the land of Israel in the return from exile. It could be the final part of a journey to Jerusalem where when you're climbing the steps to the temple, these are the psalms that are sung. That's That's a popular view as well. And some have also hypothesized that these psalms were sung as travelers would journey to Jerusalem during the festivals. Now, as it, as it happens, it's not essential to the interpretation of these Psalms as to their, their setting because all of these theories of interpretation have the important aspect of journeying involved in them. And so I think that's the essential component to hang on to. I do side more toward the idea of These songs were sung as as pilgrims were making their way to Jerusalem for the festivals. However, that's not an essential point. The essential point is that these psalms do target the the journeyman or the traveler as they're on a journey. Uh, Jerusalem is likely involved, which makes sense in this psalm, especially as we have in verse 1, I lift my eyes to the hills. And that makes sense. If you know anything about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is set in the hills. And so the journeyman in this psalm is anticipating the journey to Jerusalem, uh, how there's going to be hills involved, potential dangers involved with that. And so that's probably the most likely background for these psalms. Now, this psalm in particular is is interesting because you'll notice that in verses 1 and 2, you have a first-person account. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. Now, that is first-person. But when you get to verse 3, you have a second-person uh, singular referent coming in. So, it's it's clear that a A different speaker is involved here in verses three through eight because the individual is then talking about your foot. He will not let your foot stumble. Your guardian will not slumber. So in other words, there's a change in voice here. And what I think the best way to understand this is that in verses one and two, you have a journeyman giving a testimony, a question and answer, as it were, of the theology of what he expects from the Lord as his help during the journey. But then in verses 3 through 8, you have an additional speaker, and it's it's likely either a priest or an elder of the tribe. Somebody with spiritual authority is chiming in in an antiphonal voice, and he's Going to affirm what the traveler in verses one and two has originally said, but then he's going to expand on it and offer further encouragement. And so we have two voices in Psalm one twenty one that makes it uh, a beautiful antiphony, kind of. And an antiphony, by the way, is when you have two voices or more trading back and forth. You have that in the Song of Solomon. Uh, you have it in a lot of songs. Uh, you get that idea of voices trading off as they're providing complimentary statements and that that's the case here in Psalm 121 as well. So let's let's think about the main point of the psalm here and how all this works together as far as the details. So the details if you if you think about what the theme of this psalm is you can actually identify it by the use of guardianship or keeping depending on what English translation you have. Uh, you can note that the same word in Hebrew is used in verse 3 as the translation for your guardian or your keeper. And then you can also see that in verse 4, the guardian of Israel. In verse 5, Yahweh is your guardian. In verse uh, 7, Yahweh will guard you. There it's used as a verb twice. And then in verse 8... Uh, Yahweh will guard used as a verb again so that same word in Hebrew it's shamar to guard or to keep is used throughout the psalm six times and so in a psalm with eight verses that's clearly a very prominent theme and so I would say we could entitle this psalm something like the Lord is your guardian something like that because that is clearly the theme of this psalm clearly what's being being stated explicitly by the author in in this statement now as we go through the verses one and two really kind of set the stage as the traveler posing the question who's going to take care of me and then answering it that my help comes from the lord comes from comes from yahweh so when he when he asks the question i lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from the hills Are likely a reference to the troubles that are involved in a journey, dangers. I mean, if anybody knows anything about hiking in the, in the mountains, in the hills, especially during that time, you, you have a lot of hidden dangers, robbers, not just that, but I mean, if you lose your footing, that could be even a deadly fall. So there's a lot of dangers. So it's a natural, it's a natural question when faced with the circumstances. How am I going to get help? And then he answers his own question in verse two, my help comes from the Lord, the one who makes the heavens and the earth. And that's an important theological statement because he understands this traveler does that the Lord has the ability to help him because of his past, uh, capabilities and demonstrated power in the creation of the world. And of course, this is something we don't often think about, but we ought to is that in the biblical mindset, the creation of heaven and earth implies and gives the logical consequence that God also takes care of heaven and earth. So it's not just deism where you create and walk away, but it's a caretaking of creation as well. You create and sustain. So you have sustenance as well as creation involved. And obviously that's a huge bonus when you understand, you know what, Yahweh can help me because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Now, we could end that psalm right there, and we could have a lot to think about and dwell on. However, this this second voice, this antiphonal voice now jumps in in verse 3 and really adds to what the traveler has been trying to to determine and decide in his own own mind. And so we have a confirmation of what has just been said, uh, but in addition to that as well. So on the one hand this elder or priest or this spiritually mature figure says, you are right, traveler. The Lord is uh, the one who gives you your help, but you don't understand that he is personally your help. And that's something that there's a big distinction And Notice in verse two, the traveler says, my help comes from the Lord. But we get to verse five and he says, Yahweh is your guardian. Yahweh is your keeper. And there it's, it's, it's emphasized that it's not just your help that comes from Yahweh. Yahweh himself is your help by being your personal guardian. And I think that's something that we ought to really emphasize as well is that throughout verses three through eight, we see second uh, masculine singular pronouns, which is nerd speak for saying that it's personalized. In Hebrew, you can you can differentiate between singular and plural pronouns. In English, if I say "you," that could be a reference to singular or plural. But in Hebrew, you have different ways to to reference singular or plural. So the singular use here uh, is identifying that for the traveler personally, he. He can be assured that Yahweh is his guardian. Now, it's in describing this, this guardian, the one who, who takes care of him. I already have said that it's Yahweh, but if you read through the Psalm, verse three and four do not mention Yahweh. It just talks about the guardian and it just talks about the qualifications of the guardian. For one, he won't let your foot stumble, which is important during a journey. And obviously the Psalm is intending us to understand this journey metaphorically as well through life. As we'll see later, it's made more explicit. So Yahweh is the one who will n- not keep, let your foot stumble. However, the identity of the guardian is not mentioned yet in verses three and four. Now, as this description unfolds, though, the, the big reveal comes in verse five when Yahweh is fronted saying Yahweh is the identity. He is your keeper. That is why you can have confidence in the fact that your keeper is strong enough to not let your foot stumble, that he won't sleep. He will, he won't slumber. Uh, he is capable. And of course, just the very mention of the name of Yahweh would evoke and should invoke in our minds as well the, the mindset of Exodus, creation, all of these mighty deeds by Yahweh, who has identified himself through power in the Old Testament, shown himself completely capable, shown himself not just capable, but faithful and uh, a God of steadfast love and loyalty to his people Israel. This is the God who has identified you specifically to take care of you. I mean, that is a, that is a huge encouragement, a tremendous blessing. Now, in the description of Yahweh, this, this God who is identified as being a personal caretaker here, one of my favorite descriptions, I do have to make a note especially about this, is just on, on the nature of his guardianship. It, at the end of verse three, he will not slumber. Your guardian will not slumber. Now, that's, that's just a general statement, uh, a very encouraging statement at, at its core, but it's not left there in verse 4 you have a heightening of that statement it's it almost just seems superfluous in the sense that it's repeated however you see it repeated with emphasis so in verse 4 you have behold drawing attention uh, it's kind of like putting a exclamation point before the statement saying did you actually hear me you know pay attention to what i'm about to say he will never slumber and he will never sleep. There you have the same word used in verse 3. He will never slumber. However, it's emphasized even more clearly by a different use of negation. In Hebrew, you have two ways of saying no. You can have all or you can say lo, uh, And they can be used interchangeably. However, uh, when they're used in negation often all has the sense of of stop something or don't do this it's it's more of a uh, less emphatic way of doing it but the particle low in negation has the idea of never do this just uh, for, for example in the ten commandments uh, you shall not kill you shall not steal that uses the particle low in negation saying you never do this you never do this and here it switches the emphasis saying it's not just that he doesn't sleep. It's that he never sleeps. It's, it's an emphasis. It's brought to a fuller height in verse four. And of course, the, the beauty of this in thinking about that is that the guardian, the one who is guarding you, the one who has that identity as your guardian, never takes time off. And that's just a huge, blessing. In fact, uh, I'm reminded of Psalm three, five, where David writing saying, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And I love that because it, it really brings out the important theological principle that we literally can sleep because Yahweh does not. It's not as if Yahweh ever clocks out or takes any time off from his sleep. That is, uh, or takes any time off to sleep. He is not in need of recuperation or anything like that. He is always on guard. He is always, he is always Lord. He is always in control. Similarly, Psalm 48 says, in peace, I will, li- I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, there's, there's just a beauty of sleep in the Psalms as we think about it and understand that God doesn't need to sleep. And that assures us a very sweet sleep. When we understand who God is and the fact that He never sleeps, and because of that, we can—what a blessing that is! Uh, and one other thing that I should mention, just to be thorough, is is the fact that uh, at the end of verse four, and in the English translations, it might be put a little earlier, but in in verse four, the Hebrew uh, emphasizes God here as the guardian of israel he's he's the guardian of israel that's how he's identified and what's important about that well i think it's important because god is being identified as having the power to guard over an entire nation so if if i want for for example if if i have a bodyguard that's pretty cool i guess Because he's going to try to take care of me, but the bodyguard can't really take care of other people as well. I mean, he's got his hands full taking care of me. So that's, that's good, but that just, he's powerful enough to take care of one person and he might fail too because he's not that capable. He can only take care of one person. However, if someone were to tell me, hey, you know what, the president of the United States is watching over you and he's going to, he's going to, all his power at his disposal, he, he is, he has the authority to make sure you're taken care of. With all of that authority, with the military, you know, the the medical aid, all that stuff, it's all at his disposal. He's taking care. Of. Well, essentially, that's what's going on here. Is because if if God Yahweh can take care of the nation of Israel, an entire nation of people, and He's your personal guardian, that's a tremendous, tremendous blessing and. That should be something that encourages the hearts of the hearers because they understand the God who's powerful enough to take care of a nation is going to be able to take care of me. And that's what's going on here. So the Psalm continues. Yahweh, as we already made special note of, is identified as the guardian. And that should not be underplayed whatsoever because he is, he is personally involved in that. And there's something, uh, in verse five that, that really is striking and almost scandalous in, in the sense that it's, it's kind of shocking. Yahweh is your shade at your right hand. Now, what in the world does that mean? The shade at your right hand. Uh, I think, I think we would be remiss if we didn't think about, uh, just what it means to be at your right hand. Uh, you know, just, just think about, uh, you know, all the, the old folklore and whatever, whoever sits at the right hand of somebody else is essentially subservient to them, but it's a, it's a privileged position, but only because of who sits on the throne. If somebody sits on the throne, then the person at the right hand is powerful. He's their right hand man, as it were. However, they are available to do that person's bidding is the idea. And that's really what's going on here is, is this is, is painting the picture that Yahweh is readily available for us. He is, He is there to protect us. He is the shade. And, and by the way, shade, uh, if you live anywhere where it's hot, you understand the value of shade. Uh, I come from Minnesota, so, you know, shade is, not as valued there as when I spent time in California or now in North Carolina, but shade is very important for those who understand the power of the sun. And so here, uh, what the psalmist is describing is that God is, is available and ready to protect. He, he is there. Protection. He, he's available day or night. Notice verse six. You have, Uh, by day the sun will not strike you or the moon by night. That idea is what's known in Hebrew poetry as a merism. And a merism is when you take two extremes so that everything is covered. So for example, is there any time when the sun isn't shining or the moon isn't out at night? No, there's not. Because if that were to take place, the world would be blown up or something like that. So that means that the sun or the moon and everything in between. That's that's what's going on. So essentially, what he's saying then is that Yahweh is going to guard you day and night. There's no time off for Yahweh, and and this right-handed idea complements that by saying, and it's it's always available. There, there's this consistency involved in Yahweh's guardianship over our lives. And that's, that's hugely important. So, so beneficial to the follower of the Lord. And notice he goes on, even in verse seven, he says, Yahweh will guard you from all evil. Now here, there's two things to note that instead of identifying Yahweh as guardian. Now it's switched. The previous statements were participles used uh, as nouns, as identifiers, as as titles, as it were, identifying the role of Yahweh being the guardian. But here it switches from being a title to being an active verb. So in other words, in verses seven and eight, it switches saying, yes, Yahweh has the title of guardian, but don't, don't just think it's a title. He is actively involved. He actively guards and keeps. And in verse seven, the first thing that's identified is that Yahweh guards you or keeps you from all kinds of evil. And that's, uh, some English translations might not have all kinds, but that's really the intent of this statement, uh, the way it's formatted in Hebrew is that Yahweh, there's no kind of evil or calamity that's both natural evil, moral evil. There's nothing outside of Yahweh's power. He's he's in control of it all and nothing can touch you apart from his allowance. And by the way, let me just state here, uh, it's not explicit in this psalm, but we understand it both from the purview of scripture as well as implicitly, that that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. Okay. Bad things will happen. You read the book of Job. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. We live in a sin infested world. However, what this is a promise of is that nothing bad happens outside of God's control. In other words, nothing gets past his defenses. You know, it's it's not as if God uh, or something bad happens to you or me and, and God says, whoops, you know, God doesn't make those kinds of mistakes. His guardianship is exclusive and exhaustive. Nothing gets through those defenses. And, and in, in pointing to that, in verse seven, he says, he will guard your soul. He guards your soul. And of course, the soul, our very being is what's most important to us. And that is, and, and so it's kind of an argument from the greater to the lesser. If, if God is, is, intimately involved with you, guarding the very essence of your being, he guards the rest of you as well and everything around you. Verse eight is a very, very apt conclusion because there Yahweh is again identified. And notice how in verses five through eight, now we've had Yahweh's name emphasized time and time again, how Yahweh is the guardian. Yahweh is the one who will guard in verse eight, you're going out and you're coming in. And that's another merism, right? So in the first one, we had the sun and the moon, which is a, uh, an, a merism of time, as it were. And here we have a merism of action. So in other words, going out, coming in, those are two extremes of action. And so all the actions would be included in that. So in other words, Yahweh is guarding over everything that we do. So in other words, there's nothing that you can do. That's outside the realm of Yahweh, you know, whether you were an astronaut and landing on the moon, whether you were a scuba, scuba diver going underneath the ocean uh, cliff, uh, climbing cliffs, climbing mountains, whatever you want to do in, in nuclear submarines, wherever you are in the universe, there is no place that you are doing something outside of Yahweh's guardianship. And that is such, such a blessing. You know, I was, I was reminded of when I was doing initial research on this Psalm, just kind of reading things about, about it. Uh, I came across the fact that David Livingston, who was perhaps best known for his exploration of the continent of Africa, uh, he read Psalm 121 with his family before he embarked on the journey. And that's so fitting when you think about it, especially, I mean, for us, You know, who knows? You have GPS, iPhone, you could call each other all the time. But for him, it was a it was a potentially disastrous mission. And so to have that confidence in Yahweh as his guardian, even if he's in the middle of the jungles of Africa, you know, that's that's just such a blessing to to think through the fact that Yahweh is your guardian, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, he will take care of you. And of course, the psalm concludes in such a fitting manner by saying, From now, forevermore. That's just the final exclamation, isn't it? Because Yahweh is your guardian. Yahweh will take care of you. And what an encouragement that is. So I hope you have found this encouraging. I know I have. I love reading through Psalm 121. And I just hope that you also... Uh, will enjoy it and read through it and meditate on Yahweh as your helper, as your keeper, as your guardian, and that the Lord would bless you uh, in meditating on that. And if you have any questions, comments, feel free to email me at peter at petergamon.com. For more information about me, visit petergamon.com Or for more information on the seminary, visit shepherds.edu. Until next time, we'll see you later.